Thy kingdom come on earth. We're in a series, and we're going through Matthew chapters 5 through 7, line by line, verse by verse. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is basically all of Jesus' teachings encapsulated. Today our message is entitled, Love in the Real World. And don't you like it when someone is very practical and real? And, and the idea of where the real meets the ideal and, and it works? And that doesn't always happen, does it? And in this series... It's important to remember and to understand what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying. And, and we need to be very, very clear on that. And if I were to encapsulate or if I were going to say what Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, what they actually were in a nutshell, it would be a great exposition on the greatest command which would be to love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy might, and to love thy neighbor as yourself, or to love God and to love others. That's really what it boils down to. It's an explanation of, of all of that. And one of the catchphrases that Jesus does throughout this whole Sermon on the Mount is this. You have heard it said... And then he goes and he says, but I say to you. Now, you probably will never hear me say that because I'm not God. And most of you have never confused me with God. But here was God in the flesh correcting human teaching. And so I just want you to know whatever moment in life that you are experiencing right now, we are just going verse by verse, line by line through the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're here today, then God's word is probably for you today, as it is always. So if you'll turn in your Bibles or in your tablets or on your phones to Matthew chapter 5 verse 31, I endorse you version, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. And if you're joining us online, you're going to see it on the television screen in front of you. And I just want you to know that worship is so good inside that it can't, ex it can't compare to your experience on your couch or in your bed or wherever you are in your pajamas with your coffee or your hot chocolate or your hot tea or whatever because it's it's even better in the room and so Matthew chapter 5 verse 31 it says Jesus says this it was also said whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce now, Jesus doesn't mince any words. He doesn't skip anything. He goes right to the heart. And as it was relevant in the first century, it is also relevant today, is it not? God's word is always relevant. And when we talk about divorce, I want you to get this. God despises divorce. In fact, in Malachi, it says God hates divorce. But what he doesn't say is that he does not despise divorced people. In fact, the people that most hate divorce, that most devise 
that despise divorce are people who have been divorced and those that have been impacted by divorce. And if I asked anyone in this room and if I asked for group participation, how many of you have been affected by divorce? Everybody would raise their hand, wouldn't they? Because it's all, it's impacted all of us. And when Jesus addresses this, I want you to hear his heart and give him the benefit of the doubt. Because the reason why I think Jesus was addressing this was because Jesus and also Moses, as we're going to see, were making sure women weren't being mistreated or are being mistreated today. And if you look back in Scripture where this was written, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. This may be an obscure passage to you, but I've been studying this for about 35, 40 years. I've been thinking about this passage. In fact, this passage is corroborated in another passage of Scripture, and I believe Numbers, where, where it is. But, but anyway, listen in, please. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. Remember the word indecency. Mark that in your mind and or in your Bible. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. And she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife. And after she has been, after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. That's pretty strong language. And you shall not bring sin upon the land with that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. See, Jesus is quoting Moses, which Moses was give, given the word of God, and saying, you need to give her a document that says she is free to marry again. Because if you wouldn't, then she wouldn't be free, and probably she would be impoverished and starved to death, and there would be no one to provide for his children. And, and what the caveat is in this passage in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, is that, remember, the children of Israel were in a pagan land, Egypt, and being influenced by Babylon, and under Babylonian law, a man could divorce his wife and, ch and change his mind within five years. And so what Moses was preventing was that kind of idea from the Babylonian culture to be inside the Jewish culture at that time prior to Christ coming. So what he was saying was, hey, you divorce your wife, you remarry another person, you can't go back to your previous wife. Now, I've watched dynamics, family dynamics, over the last 40 years, and, and as I've watched this, and please don't take this personally if your family has this going on in their family dynamics, because most people are unfamiliar or ignorant of this principle, but what I've discovered as I've watched this, that in almost 100% of the cases that I've seen, and this is 
that, that there is a lot of chaos and dysfunction in families that actually do this. And you say, well, Chris, wouldn't that be right to reconcile? Well, you would think so, but God's word is always, what I want to say, faithful and true. Now, you put this into the context of the first century Jerusalem in Israel, and there were two main ideas, two schools of thought going on at, at the time. There were two what you would call rock star rabbis that were basically people tended one way or the other. There was the Rabbi Hillel and the Rabbi Shammai. Now, Rabbi Shammai was a very conservative rabbi, and he would say, he would say there was no divorce, no way, and, and was very, very strict. And he was the idealist rabbi. But the people favored Rabbi Hillel, the rock star, the more liberal rabbi, who basically said you could divorce your wife for anything. If she burns the toast, you divorce her. She doesn't take care of the kids, you divorce her. If, if, if you know, you find anything wrong, you can divorce her. That was Rabbi Hillel, and he was the the, uh, what I want to say, the popular rabbi. So Jesus is correcting this by saying, and he's quoting Deuteronomy, as well as, you know, since he's God, he knows the intent and the heart of the command, doesn't he? He says, if there is something indecent. And in Hebrew, that was ervat debar. And what that means is, Typically, it would be sexual immorality or adultery or an affair. But look what Jesus goes on to say about this. In verse 32, he says, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, and that's a general term, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, Jesus is correcting the popular interpretation of the day, which is saying you can get a divorce if there is an adultery. But he is not telling you, you must get a divorce. Now, I want you to know that I intentionally, in my 20s, was not going to be a preacher and or a youth pastor for life. I had another alternative course of action. I did a master's in counseling, and I was very idealistic at the time, and I thought people would self-actualize, and they desired to be transformed and to change into likeness of image of God, and I would help them do that. But what I found out, that counseling was primarily about cheating and affairs and brokenness, and I said, I don't want to do that all day every day and dealing with kids that were impacted by that. And, and I would rather be your pastor than your counselor. In fact, I found out that I wasn't a very good counselor. I could pass the classes, but I didn't have what it takes. I would say, stop it, fix it, change it, go. <laughs> and it didn't work. Because I, that's not how, I mean, that's what I was, was not what I was called for. And so I refer, because I'd rather be your pastor than your counselor, and then you wouldn't have to worry about me preaching and talking about you. Because I'm not. Because I don't know your situation as well, unless you tell me about it, and I'll give a listening ear, and then I'll say, you need to go to a professional counselor. Because that's what they do. But I want you to hear this. 
When he talks about committing adultery or sexual immorality, he's talking about a verb. That's, that's one time, and that is forgivable. That doesn't mean that you are an adulterer and that is a label. Now, if this is your practice and this is what you do and it's serial in, in, in a situation, then that's a different thing. You're grieving the Holy Spirit of God and you're per, continuing in sin that we believe by grace you can overcome through the Spirit of God. But it's a struggle. And at the same time, I want you to hear this. And, and Jesus says sexual immorality. And we basically, there are four A's, you know, adultery, addiction, abuse, and abandonment where we see divorce occur. And that's part of a sinful, broken world. But remember, God despises divorce. He does not despise divorced people. We are all broken and saved by grace through faith. And we have hope in Christ. And at the same time, Jesus is raising the bar for men and saying, hey, this, this power that you have to divorce your wife, and in fact, it only went one way at that time, was not, you were not, they were not doing this correctly and or rightly, and there needs to be mercy and grace in this situation. Now, Jesus changes topic here as he preaches a sermon on the mount and I just want to encourage you that this is also very practical and uh, very helpful verse 33 and 34 says and again you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn but I say to you do not take an oath at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. And, and I want you to notice that in all these situations, Jesus corrects, or all these issues, he corrects. But in this situation, he says, I don't want you to do this at all. And this is very powerful because they were in an oral society where if they wrote anything down, there was no guarantee that it would be kept. Unlike today, we have text messages and emails. We have a digital footprint as well as uh, a document footprint that we can put in a safe and likely we can keep. But in that day, their word was it, typically. I mean, they could take a parchment, stuff it in a, in a, a clay pot, and then cover it, and maybe it would last. Or they might have to, to, to write it down in stone, which wasn't very practical. And, and what Jesus is calling us to is the integrity of our word and our words. And, and, and he's, he's raising the bar. And you might think, well, I haven't lied to anyone this week. I've been really honest. I hate to snuff out your hope at this moment because he's raising the bar. And, and I want you to answer, ask, ask this question of yourself. Am I the kind of person that can be trusted? Am I that kind of person? This week, this last Friday, as I do most Fridays, is I was working on a house and I t took a break at lunch and I went to uh, Brazil Coffee for lunch because they have a $5 special on, on Friday. And I'm cheap. But Subway was busy, and their drive-thru was backed up, and I was driving my three-quarter ton truck. It has an extended cab and a full bed, so it's a long truck. It has 
a hitch on the back of it that I tow vehicles with. And so I was trying to get into this parking space and I backed up and I got out and I looked at it and I was probably this far away from the other vehicle and I thought, well, I'm, I'm kind of extending out a little bit too far. And then I backed up again and I sort of bumped the car behind me. And I kind of had a, gave a sigh and I thought, I better check this out. And so I went back, got out of the car, went back and looked at it and I thought, yeah, it didn't do any damage. And then this little girl comes out of Subway. And she's probably in her late teens, or early 20s. And he says, she says, hey you, did you hit that car? And I've got to tell you, in that moment, as your pastor, I wanted to lie. <laughs> I'm not lying to you. And I thought, okay Lord, today's going to be one of those days where... You're in charge and I'm not, and uh, I guess it's been a while, and so I've got to be up for this. And so I say, yes, I did. And that disarmed her. And I, I said, I want you to look at it, and if it's not, I mean, I don't think I did any damage, but it did, your car did move, and it's a big truck. And, and you've got to admire her because... She didn't know who I was. Here's this bald-headed construction guy, Ogre, getting out of his truck who just hit, hit her mom's car and walked away from it. So how happy would you be? And so then I said, I want you to look at this. And in fact, if you want me to, I'll move the truck up and let you look at it even closer. And if you have any concern, I'll give you my insurance information and my phone number. And you know what? In, in today's age, somebody probably had it on their camera, and it was probably on the cameras out in the parking lot. And, you know, I was guilty. I mean, just flat-out guilty. And so it disarmed her. And then I said, you know, and by the way, I'm the senior minister of First Christian Church. So I played the God card there. <laughs> no. So I said, uh, and she was just concerned for her mom because it's her mom's car. And I, I said, well, who's your mom? And she gave me her name. And I said, well, I'm not sure. I know some of those folks, but I'm not sure I know her. And so, and we were having this conversation. So then her mom comes out, and, and I know her mom because she's one of the servers at a restaurant we frequent, and we love her, and she loves us. And I said, I want you to look at this because if there's anything wrong, I'll make it right. I'll buy you a new bumper, whatever it takes to make this right. Because God's teaching me a lesson and I don't know why. <laughs> and you know what? You know, the sermon's illustration is not worth a bumper, but anyway. But uh, so we talked and we felt really, really bad. I felt really, really bad. And, and I could tell she felt really, really bad. And we were concerned about the relationship. And it was, it was a little bump. It was fun. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a dust mark. It was a little bit more than that, but not, not, you know. So anyway, we go about our day. I go into Brazil Coffee, have my lunch, and go on. And so later that day, and this is a long story, and I'm sorry it's a long story, but it, later that day, I need three two-by-fours, and so I go to Timberland to get my two-by-fours, and guess what? Guess who's at the counter? That little girl. <laughs> I got to tell you, 
I love a small town. If you don't live in a small town, you just gotta, you gotta make things right, don't you? I mean, if you're gonna live in a community, you gotta make things right. And so I, I look at her and said, are you? She says, yes. I said, did you tell him, the, her, her coworker? She said, no. And I said, well, you might as well tell him because I want to tell him now. <laughs> did she tell you about the ogre that hit her mom's car? Isn't it funny how God works in those situations? Jesus goes on and he says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your own, by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, or even make it grow. So, and Jesus is talking about swearing by God's name. You know, our word is enough. But we've got to really recognize something because maybe you weren't tempted to lie like I was this week, but there's this idea of manipulation in, in our words that we kind of leave out some things when we tell the story. We kind of embellish and, and, and as your preacher, that's a temptation of mine when I preach is to embellish some stories to make them more entertaining. Or we slant stories to make ourselves to look like victims and them to be the villains and taking, in, instead of taking responsibility for our part in the situation. And we may not be completely guilty. Or we shade the truth or we leave details out. This is what Jesus is talking about. And, and the bottom line is this, that we need to be truthful in our our situations in, in our issues that we have. And, and the question is, is there an area in your life where you've, you're not keeping a commitment or not being totally truthful? And that's the challenge. And then Jesus goes into another teaching, and, and it's in verse 38, and says, You have heard it said, it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, this eye for eye, tooth for tooth idea is in the Old Testament, Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19. And I want you to hear this because when you read this at first glance, Jesus, Jesus sounds like, hey, just roll over and play dead and let anybody walk on you. And this is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, be a doormat. But, but I want you to hear this, that we all have a little bit of John Wick in us, and we want to get even. And, and in fact, your pastor has a lot of John Wick in him. And, and somebody in first service said, who's this John Wilkins that you're talking about? And I had to explain to him when John Wick was, was this kind of gangster, I don't know, kind of mafioso, Russian mafioso kind of guy that got his dog killed and it really ticked him off and his car stolen so he just went uh, 
John Wick on everybody and killed everybody. I mean, he was just this, you know, assassin. And I said, I, and, and to, to reframe it for you guys who don't know who John Wick is, it would be like kind of going Rambo on them, all right, for, for an older terminology of that. But Jesus is saying that that is not the way we should go because when we retaliate, then it escalates and then it goes higher and higher. And maybe you've been in that situation. I've been in that situation in my younger days when I wasn't nearly as enlightened or, or as wise. But I tell you, this old man has still kind of got some of that in him as well. But look at what he says in verse 39. He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Well, does that mean to roll over on evil? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. I, I think Jesus is saying here, there's a creative third option. And hear him in this. And this is very personal. And, and again, as a pastor and not your counselor, I, I don't think that I could counsel you in these situations. This is a hard thing between you and God and the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is saying here. And, and so hear this. And then he goes on in verse 39. He says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And so he's saying, don't be defensive. And, and, and what I'm learning in, in my own life is that I need to be a non-anxious presence in difficult situations. To, to, to say a non-anxious presence would, would also, the, what, what, what is that saying? That I would be a faithful witness to Christ, a calming, peaceful presence in that situation. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. Don't get caught up in retaliation. And then he goes in verse 40 and he says, If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, I want you to picture this, that you're in court and you're fighting over your outer garments, which you might only have one if you were in the first century, like my clothes right now. And somebody was suing me for those, and all that would leave me would be my undergarments. And what Jesus is saying, and I want you to picture this, hey, take all your clothes off and give it to them. Now, how embarrassing would that be? Isn't that an awful, ver I mean, mental picture? But what he's saying is give to them to the point of, ridic of the ridiculous, of the absurd. And in that, you break down this escalating thing that's going on. And then verse 41, he says, And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, this was the commandeering that the Roman soldiers had the opportunity. If they were walking along and they were hiking, they could tell anyone to pick up that pack and they had to do the mile. And Jesus is saying, go the second mile. We see that in scripture when we see Simon of Cyrene pick up Jesus's cross. The Roman soldiers made him do that because they were able to do that. But Jesus is saying, go beyond because in that, then, you are being different. You are called to that creative third option. And then in verse 42, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now that's kind of absurd. But he's saying, give outrageously 
in those moments. And again, this is very personal. Not on every occasion, not in every circumstance. You have to be discerning to the will of God and the Spirit of God. Then he goes on, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? That had to be hard for Matthew to write because he was a tax collector. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You know, in Scripture... Even in the Old Testament, I'm reading through the book of Exodus and, and following uh, Moses' life. And when God calls the Israelites out of captivity and he, and, and he delivers them through those ten plagues, God makes a separation between the Egyptians and, and the Jews so that God would be glorified and they would know that there was a difference from the followers of God and, and those that didn't follow him. And he wants us to stand out from the rest of the world. And so he encourages us not to blend in, to be the salt, to be the light in the darkness. Now, the question in this passage is, who are the people that you perceive as an enemy? And I want you to know, as your pastor, I have some enemies, some enemies I have because I'm just a pastor, and if I'm a leader, then people just hate me because I'm a pastor. That just comes with the territory. And then there are other people that I haven't done what they've wanted me to do, and they don't like me because I didn't give them what they wanted, which wasn't what was best. So they're my enemies. So then God calls us to love our enemies well. Because we are never more Christ-like than when we are loving our enemies. You say, wow. And you've got to understand something. That people loved Jesus who were nothing like Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus ends this chapter by saying this, which is, just blows my mind. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, you know, when I respond to that, I just say, that's ridiculous, Lord. What, 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 what are we doing here? There's no way I can do that. And the idea of perfect is the Greek word teleos, and that means perfect, that means complete, that means merciful, and that means mature. Now, you for, for you that are blank fillers, I just want you to know that I have complete copies of this message with the blanks filled. So if I just frustrated you by moving on too fast, I want you to know that I've got, I've got them for you. Okay? But I want you to hear this with all sincerity, that he calls us to maturity. And that requires mercy and grace. And when I... When I see this, when I see this, I am reminded of Jesus dying on the cross and saying to his enemies, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing.
Can you imagine? On the cross, dying. Have you ever wanted to give yourself a grade, spiritually speaking? Ever been there where you want to think, how am I doing? That's a dangerous question to ask. The way you grade yourself, I think, is in the way you treat your enemies. And that, because that's one of the greatest challenges that we have. You see, because our maturity is directly correlated to the way we love people. See, Jesus loved people that weren't like him. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. He said, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we have we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life more than that we also rejoice in god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have now received reconciliation paul's calling us back to make us realize that we were once enemies of god and we have become friends of God through the blood of Jesus. By his grace, we are saved through faith. But that came at a high, high price. He bore our consequences for our sin. That we might become friends of God. Now he calls us in this passage to make, to care for our enemies to love them well. And that is a mark of maturity, completeness, and mercy. And folks, that's impossible to do without the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. Because that is supernatural. But by that, all men will know that we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thy kingdom come on earth will you please stand and pray with me eternal God and Father we are grateful for the words of Jesus and Father as they are challenging and hard I'm reminded that Jesus said you know come and follow me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and Father it's only easy and light with the Spirit of God inside of us and father we depend on your grace and, and that is the ability and desire to do your will that only you can do and it's a supernatural thing father and we pray that you would work in our hearts in a supernatural way that you will allow us to love those that aren't like you to love our enemies father that your will might be done, that we might live out the values of the kingdom of God, that others might know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. And Father, we pray for, for your spirit to work, whether people are watching online, either they're here in this room and allow the Holy Spirit to reign and to fill and to move in this way. And Father, we just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come this morning?